You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Be'ezer Sashem, we're going to be continuing with our Shirim on the Indian of hope, on the Indian of yearning for something that is not present, on the Indian of desiring something that is not quite graspable to the mind's rational eye, to the psychological mind, but yet nevertheless, we continue to believe we have access to. Now, the tzaddik that we're going to be talking about tonight, Be'ezra Sashem, the Kohen Gadol, Rav Avram Kohen Kuk, Now, when it comes to Rav Kuk and the Indian of hope, or the worldview that believes in something that is not quite present yet, yet that thing which is not quite present animates the very fabric and texture of existence down to the most particular aspect, as well as in the most generalized and totalized klal. Rav Kook was was number one with, with no one even close to him. Rav Kook's entire Torah, the entire world, those oros, those holy lights, those oros hakodesh, those holy lights that we have from Rav Kook, are all the lights of hope. They're the lights of tzipia, of desire, of yearning for something that is not present yet, that at first glance appears to be absent. Yet nevertheless, it was Rav Kook's vision, the re'iya of the ra'aya. It wasn't uh, by nature, it wasn't by chance that Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKohen was referred to as the ra'aya, the same osios as re'iya, the same osios as vision because it was his penetrating vision, the penetrating gaze of the Kohen Gadol, who when he looks at the tsara'as, when he looks at the suffering and he looks at the blemishes of the world, when he looks at all that is sick in the world, when he looks at all that is sick in the nation and in time and in history from the beginning to the end, it is specifically the vision of the Kohen Gadol who is capable of declaring tahor tahor, that it's all tahor, like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, when he exits the cave and he comes to that place of Suffolk Tumas Misa, of a world that appears to be cut through with the impurity of death's stench, the death of all things, the death of hope and the death of desire and the death of expectation. It was Rashbi, the Kohen Gadol, the Tzaddik, who was able to say that it was Tahor, Tahor Irtiveria. That Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai came along and he said, there's no Tumah here. There's no real Misa here. There's no death here. Even though it looks like death, and even though it looks like darkness, and even though it looks like destruction, and even though it looks like a Yerida, and even though it looks like all of the terrifying things that we never thought we would ever have to see, 
Nevertheless, the tzaddikim, those enei ha'eda, the eyes of the, the eyes of the community, the eyes of the people, come along and they say tahor tahor, a tahor enayim. Just as Hakadosh Baruch Hu has eyes of purity, kavyachol, tahor enayim, looking at the world and seeing the beauty that emerges out of the filth. So too, the tzaddikim's job is to look at a world on fire, is to look at a world in darkness and to give their vision to that world. That at the end of that story with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, when Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai finally is able to experience the truly rectified vision of the tzaddik, that tov ayin hu yavarach, that beautiful eye of David HaMelech, yafa enayim, with that ayin tova that's able to look at a world and say, even though everything is broken, even though everything is dark, even though everything is frightening and everything is overwhelming. Nevertheless, the eyes of the tzaddikim, mimicking the eyes of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that tahor enayim, that ayin of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that sees only good, those eyes are capable of saying tahor, tahor. And Rabbi Shun Bar Yochai looks around and he still sees that person, he still sees that person that set the whole story in motion. He still sees that old person who came along ridiculing Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, saying, are you really going to purify this cemetery? And he begins making fun of Rabbi Shimon, and he says, Rabbi Shimon came along and he purified the Besakvaros. Rabbi Shimon came along and he purified death, almost as if as a mimicry or a claim against Rabbi Shimon to, to embarrass him and say, this person comes along and he looks at death and he says, there's no death. And Rabbi Shimon the Gemara says, Nasav Enavbo, he placed his eyes upon him, Vinasa Gal Shalatsamos, and he became a pile of bones. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, Schusia Genelenu. Rabbi Nachman, who again, it's important to remember for anybody who's listening or anybody who cares, that we're still in the world of Rabbi Nachman. We're still in the galaxy of Rabbi Nachman. And more so than the other tzaddikim, even. And the Ramchal, although the Ramchal had a makusher to the world of Rabbi Nachman, Rabbi Nachman would tell his students to learn Masil Sisharim before coming to him. And the Leshem, even though the Leshem didn't have any explicit relationship with Rabbi Nachman, nevertheless, in the Sefer Chayin Nefesh, written by Rav Avram Tzvi Kenig, Rav Aaron Kenig, rather, about the Indian of a tzaddik, quotes only from Sefer Breslov as well as the Leshem Shuev Achalema. The Rabbi Rashab, I can't, at least at this point, explain how they're Makusher, but I have no doubt that they are Makusher. And by, by Rav Kuk, there's more of his kashas to Rabbi Nachman than the other tzaddikim, because Rav Kuk himself said, Anishmas Rabbi Nachman. I am a spark of the soul of Rabbi Nachman. Because Rav Kuk's vision was the vision of Rabbi Nachman. And Rabbi Nachman's interpretation of that Gemara that says, Nasav Enav Vinasa Gal Shalatzamos, that he placed his eyes on him and he turned into a pile of bones. What that means is that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the tzaddik, took his vision, took his capacity to see good in darkness, and he gave it to this Russia, he gave it to this person who was stuck in utter darkness. He gave him Nasav Einav Boy, he gave him his ability to see. He blessed this person with the ability to see the world the way that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai sees the world. And the person was so overwhelmed by the beauty and the light that he saw it became a giloi 
Lashon Gal, a revelation of atzamos, not bones, but etzem, of essence. That when a person looks at the world with the eyes of the tzaddikim, with the Re'iyah HaKadosha, with that holy vision that Rav Kook brought into the world in the spirit of all of the other tzaddikim, a person understands how it's possible to speak with such hope, to speak with such tzipiyah, to an asid, to a future that is beautiful, not only in spite of the current circumstances, not only in spite of the fact that things are so broken, but rather, dafka, because of that darkness, the eyes of the tzaddik are able to penetrate deeply into that space and see that light that comes out. Now, Rav Kook was also a Talmud of the Lashem Shemai Vachaloyma, as we hinted to. And anyone who's been listening to me knows that I'm, I'm a little bit feverish with the influence that the Lashem had on Rav Kook. I think it's very apparent in the writings, although we don't have any historical kind of references, but I think it's very apparent. And what we spoke about last week with the Leshem was that hope, the Indian of Teshuka, the Indian of desire and the Indian of yearning, is when a person confronts the limit that is placed in front of the human being. When a person hits that point where HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, there's a halacha here that you can't see any further. You can't grasp my essence. You can't grasp the essential nature of things. You can't see the true light of good that exists within the darkness without first seeing the darkness. But nevertheless, it's through chuka, it's through yearning and desire to attach ourselves to that place of light that the Leshem says we have access to that place which is barred from us in any other sense. Something that we didn't see last week from the Leshem, and I want to use this as an introduction to Rav Kook, is what the Leshem Shavayi Vachalema writes in his Hakdama to the Sefer Shar HaPoyna Derech Kadim. This is a, a mimer, a remarkable essay on the Kabbalah of Mahari Sarug, another Talmud of the Arizal. An, another student, not Rav Chaim Vital, but somebody else who spoke of worlds that were even higher than the worlds of Rav Chaim Vital, referred to as Oilam Hamalbush, the world of the garment, the world of the Torah. And in his introduction, the Leshem writes as follows. Chazal have already told us that that it's not enough to warn a person before they engage in an action, but it's also important to remind them as they're engaged in the activity itself about what they need to be warned about. That even though I have already expressed time and time again to the point of exhaustion, that even though we're talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu here, even though we're talking about God, nevertheless, when it comes down to it, we have no access to the essence of God. We're barred access from the essential nature of things. We can't see the good without first traversing through the difficulty. The Leshem says, but I'm coming to say it again. I've already explained this in numerous places with great explanation. 
אם כל זה, הנני גם את למאיר למזכיר, כי כל מי שנפשוי אויסוי ליכטמייס ביכולי הקודש פנימה, וליוס מסרידם אשר השם קיירה, that anybody who desires to enter into the chambers of holiness to be one of those individuals who listens to the call that emerges from within themselves from God, that any time a person engages in any study of Pnimiya Satora, in any engagement with the inner world of God, with our capacity to grasp on a psychological level right now what it means, anybody who wants to see good, anybody wants to see light, anybody wants to continue believing in the annihilating infinite light that penetrates and permeates and surrounds and fills all things without a single moment of distraction or interruption, anybody who wants to grasp that in their lives, anybody who wants to be able to look at the world like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who wants to look at the world like Rav Kook, like Rav Nachman, they need to keep these words from Anim Zemiros printed in front of their eyes. And the words are as follows. My soul desires to live within the shade of your hands, to know all of your secrets, all of them, all of them, everything, etzim included, to see only pure light, to grasp the essence, which already we saw the Leshem said is off limits. I talk about your honor, but I don't see you. I imagine you, I give names to you, but I don't know you. In the hands, in the hands of your Nevi'im, in the hands of the holy imagination of the prophets of Israel, in the secret of your servants, We've imagined, we've conceived of possible explanations to your honor and your glory. We assumed to have grasped you. But our grasp was never according to your essential nature, God. Our only grasp of you was according to your ma'asim, was according to the way that you revealed yourself in this world. We've applied analogies and metaphors and visions to what it means to grasp you. But nevertheless, you're unified and you're singular within all of those imaginings. What the Leshem is saying is that anybody who wants to begin, anybody who wants to start the Aleph base of grasping HaKadosh Baruch Hu Penimi in an inner way, or anybody who wants to walk in the path of the Bashem Tov HaKadosh, to see the good even within the darkness, to see the worlds and the godliness and the soul power that is concealed within the dead letters of existence. A person has to always be very much aware that we are not touching the thing in itself. We are not grasping the essence. We are only grasping what we have capacity to grasp. But as Leshem told us, and as Rav Kook is going to take to become a model of Avoida that no other tzaddik like him expressed, 
our only access to the etzem, our only access to the truth of the matter, to being able to see the world with an amuna that touches the core, it's only going to be through teshuka, desire, hope, sepia, a yearning, shikika, a desire that outlives the body itself. Now, there's a machaber, a massive, massive Taman Chacham. His name is Yosef Avivi. Yosef Avivi put out recently a four-volume encyclopedia called Kabbalah Sara'aya. And ultimately, after learning through a lot of it in the past and studying it over Shavuos as well, I humbly think that what Yosef Avivi did is a remarkable service to the world of Cook. Because when a person looks at Rav Cook's writings, either as they're compiled by his student, the Nazir HaKadosh, Rav David Cohen, Skusio and his son, Rav Tzvi Yehuda, Skusio or as they come out in the Shemona Kvatsim, in the eight notebooks that are unedited, what a person is confronted with is a world, a sea of wisdom that has no territory, has no boundaries. As a recent recording that was going around from the Rav, Rav Soloveitchik states that learning Rav Cook's writings, I think the language of the Rav was like being on a broken wooden ship in a tumultuous sea, being overwhelmed by ideas that the mind doesn't truly know how to fathom. That poetic musical nature, Rav Huttner, another Talmud of Rav Cook's Lucia Ganelenu, wrote to another of Rav Kook's Talmidim when he was compiling Oiris HaEmuna, he says that you have to remember with Rav Kook that Rav Kook was a Meshoirer Eloiki. Rav Kook was a singer with divine grace. He sang his Torah. And anytime you try and codify or create systems out of his thinking, a person is overwhelmed by the waves of Rav Kook's Torah that seems to nullify or negate any systematic approach to what Rav Kook was trying to say. But, Yosef Avivi points this out profoundly, and I think when we pay attention to the relationship that Rav Kook had with the Leshem, we can also begin to see this. Rav Kook was a makubal. Rav Kook was revealing a new language, a new kli for Panimiya Satora for a generation that had never tasted Panimiya Satora. And Rav Kook is unique amongst other tzaddikim in the sense that he created a world of interpreting Panimiya Satora. But it wasn't chas v'shalom anything new. Rav Kook wasn't coming to say anything that wasn't said before him or anything that wouldn't be said after him. What Rav Kook was doing was he was coming to apply a poetic language that spoke to the soul that was very thirsty. And what Yosef Havivi has done in Kabbalah Sarayah is he shows in a, in a a profoundly efficient way. How everything that Rav Kook said can be aligned and rooted in the writings of the Arizal, in the writings of the Ramak, in the writings of Rav Meir Ibn Gabai, in the writings of the Avodah Sakoidesh, in the writings of the Vilnagon, in the writings of the Balhatanya. What he ignores, unfortunately, in my humble opinion, is the Lashem. And I think that a lot of the sources that Yosef Avivi uses to support this project to show that in the depths, Rav Kook was truly a makubal speaking in a relatively new language and not someone who was just conveying poetic ideas. 
that I think that you can show also every source and almost every source of what Rav Kook was trying to say with a precedent in the writings of the Leshem. Nevertheless, Avivi opens up the first volume of Kabbalah Saraya with the first instantiation, with the first moment where Rav Kook begins expressing his interests in teaching Primia Satora to the world. And Rav Kook at that point, he wasn't trying to be a Makobal. Rav Kook felt that Higiyah's man, there will be a time where it's impossible to be Mazbir, even Pashtas Emuna, even the simplest element of Emuna, without recourse to the depths of Panimiya Satora. Similar to the idea that the Leshem says that there will be a certain time in history where Kabbalah needs to be revealed, or like the Zidduchavar and the Kamarna Tzadikim point out, that there will come a time where children themselves are proficient in the language of the Arizal and the Zohar, or like the Mitlarebbe, the Admor HaEmtsoi of Chabad, points out that if he had his way, that you would have two Hasidim sitting on a street corner discussing the difference between Atik and Arich, between the highest levels of the Seder HaEshdalshlus. Rav Kook wanted to bring Kabbalah, bring Pnimiya Satora into a new language. And the first essays that he wrote, Das Eloikim Vavaydas Eloikim, in the Sefer Eder HaYakar, which was still when Rav Kook was in, was in Europe. This was before Rav Kook came to Eretz Yisrael. Rav Kook writes about the way that we can engage these ideas of spirituality. And he makes a distinction. He sets up a binary of the infantile approach to religiosity and the mature approach to religiosity. And anybody who wants to see this fully fleshed out in an amazing way, I highly recommend the first volume of Avivi's Kabbalah Sarayah. Rav Kook aligns in binary opposition the childish conception of godliness and the mature conception of godliness. The childish conception of godliness, says Rav Kook, is on the one hand very close to foreign worship, very close to Avodah Zarah, but on the other hand, it is deeply rooted in a desire to connect to that deepest essence of God. It is the belief, says Rav Kook, that we can grasp the essence of things, that we can know exactly what is going to happen, or that we can know why things are happening, or that we can know what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is and what he wants out of reality. That's the childish conception of God. That childish, almost pagan conception that we have direct access to the infinite that the finite can breach that that gap, that void that separates the finite and the infinite. The mature conception of godliness, however, one that was on a certain level brought into the world through the light of Torah, not on a certain level, forgive me, that was brought into the world through Torah and Yahadus and Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, and the unique nature of the Jewish conception of ethical monotheism is that we don't have access to the essence. We don't have access to that place. Nevertheless, what we engage in is the way that Hashem reveals himself to the world. And when we engage with the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu has revealed himself to the world, 
very much like the Leshem said, what we find access to once again is that even though we don't have access to the infinite, it is through our desire and our yearning that we begin to grasp the truest nature of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and what he wanted out of the world. For Rav Kook, the animating feature of his Torah is the deep belief that the world is in a state of perpetual elevation, perpetual evolution, that throughout the creation of the world, the process in which the world came into creation, things descended from on high to below. Things came down from an infinite level down to a finite level, from light into darkness, from hope into despair, from light into vessels. And it's our job to allow that light that descends from above to below to curve around and return back again up above from below to above, to show how that darkness, that manifestation of physicality and hopelessness and despair and violence and frustration and anger and death and that impurity that suffocates the mind and the heart and the spirit is in truth simply on the way towards its eventual destination. That while the world seems very often to reach that rock bottom experience where there is no more reason to hope for anything, it is at that very moment that things turn around again and begin to ascend upwards. For Rav Kook, everything was always ascending upwards. There was no possibility of true degradation. But again, Rav Kook was not denying the fact that the world appears incredibly ugly. Rav Kook was not denying the fact that when you take a look at the world very often, it's going to suffocate the spiritual soul. Rav Kook was not some transcendent mystic who ignored this reality of the world. Rav Kook was aware of it. As Rav Kook writes in his Haktamah to the Sefer Reish Milin, that was written when he was stuck in London during World War I, in 1916 when the world had previously lost its way, and again, chaos was unleashed upon the world, anarchy was unleashed upon the world, violence was unleashed upon the world, meaninglessness was unleashed upon the world, anxiety was unleashed upon the world. Rav Kook writes about his interest in descending into the depths of the letters, of the Aleph base. He says that for the typical spiritual person, very often, it's enough to look at the external world. It's enough to look at the world and say, I see God's fingerprints here. But then there comes a time where clouds of darkness begin to cover the world, and the light of God ceases to penetrate at least explicitly into the world. And a person can no longer see with the eyes of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai or with the eyes of Rabbi Nachman. And at that point, when a person tries to gain their spiritual sustenance from the outside world, when a person tries to find the hope that they need based on the external circumstances of things, a person will be suffocated. It's impossible. It's too much. There's too much bad. There's too much injustice, too much evil too much brokenness, too much bewilderment to see any 
vestige of the light of God. At that point, Rav Kook says, what do we do? What do we do when the outside seems broken? What do we do when the outside seems to be absolutely devoid of hope? Rav Kook's answer is we have to break through the outside and move to the inside. We have to see the inner world of the letters. We can no longer rely on the external shape of the letters. We need to penetrate deeply into the letters to see their inner vitality, to see that light of the tahor enayim, of the pure eyes that exists underneath the rubble, in all of the brokenness, in order to see how the world is still perpetually elevating. So Rav Kook was not claiming that everything is good and everything is moving upwards without paying attention to the fact that everything seems to be moving backwards and falling. But Rav Kook, with his holy re'iyah, with his holy vision, was capable of saying that even though the outside looks broken entirely, there is a vitality, there is a vital growth that is taking place, there is a pulsation of spirituality, of a growth of emunah and chayus and life and peace and rectification for all people and an emergence out of darkness that will eventually show that this descent into darkness was simply to allow for a greater ascent into light. Rav Kook saw this everywhere. Rav Kook, it was impossible for Rav Kook to see bad anywhere. Rav Kook loved everybody. Rav Kook loved any element of Kedusha. He saw a redeemable quality within everything, within the lowest of the low and the highest of the high. There was an inner life, an inner vitality, an inner pulsation that moves within darkness, promising that eventually things will reveal themselves to have been elevated. That eventually things will show themselves to be moving in the right direction. Rav Kook says as follows, and it's very difficult to choose one specific makor for this idea in Rav Kook because it's really everywhere. But what we're going to look at right now is an Ayras HaKodesh Chelek Beis. Daf Tav Kuf Chaf Aleph. 521. His Atlus the perpetual elevation of all things. Ha'olim mit'ale tamid. The world is perpetually elevating. Because in the roots of the world, everything is being suffused and filled with the light of Chachma. It's growing. The light of God is growing. And in the Tchunas Rucham Hapnimius, and in the inner interiority of their essence, as well as the Yitzurim Kulam of everything, they're purifying themselves and they're moving upwards. Everything in the world is listening to that silent whisper of the emergence of that divine wisdom. And the grandeur and the sweet silent pleasure of Bina is pulsating within all things internally. Ha'aliyos ve'hayiridois hem tadiriyot. Ascent and descent appear to be perpetual. Be'matzav ha'adam hayachid, 
in the individual's life when just when you think you overcome one difficulty you're confronted with another difficulty with another reason to be anxious with another reason to be bothered with another reason to be fearful so too in the world at large just when you think we've overcome one issue once again we're thrown into chaos again but nevertheless says Rav Kook, even though externally it's a perpetual up and down in the sum total of things things are elevated things are moving forward and when you look at everything on the grand scale of history and all of the chaos and the ups and the downs, everything still on a relative level is just the growth and the diminution of the moon. Is the growth and the diminution, those natural pulsations of what it means to be a creation or what it means to be a created space. Or the incoming tide of the sea and its retreat. Or that inner breath. That draws the light of sustenance back in to the spirit of life. And the external world, which very often is aflamed, which very often appears to be devoid of any order and any situatedness, to the point, as Rav Kook says, a person is suffocated when they look at it. That pushes the person from within. Or we can describe it as the distinction between being unconscious and asleep and beginning to wake up. That even though it appears impossible to understand how darkness and chaos and violence and overwhelmingness and fear and disorder and anxiety and hopelessness Although it appears impossible to see how the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu animates all of those spaces, how the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still found within those cracks, within that darkness. Both of them together represent the fullness, the totality of life in all of its essence. That even though things appear for of Cook to be falling, to be broken, nevertheless, the deep sepia, the deep hope, is that even though the outside crust and shell of things begins to break, what will eventually be revealed is the inner growth that has been perpetually pushing that breakage all along. So to return back to the beginning, in the spirit of drawing the words of Rav Kook closer to his Rebbe, the Leshem Shemeva where the Leshem says that even though we can't ever grasp the essence of things, nevertheless, what we can grasp 
is the hope towards the essence of things. And that itself is the gift. To believe in light in spite of darkness. To believe in good in spite of bad. Rav Kook writes as follows. And this is in a sefer called Oiris Ra'aya in the Chamushiyah that has the sefer Reish Milin in it. Rav Kook says as follows. Giving us insight giving us hope, giving us a vision, giving us his eyes to see the world so that we can reveal the etzem, the essence of the world. In that Pachina of Nas of Einav Bo, that he gave his vision to them, the Naase Gal Shalatzamos, and they became a pile of bones or the revelation of essence. Rav Kook writes as follows. Be'ezus Hashem Yisparach. This was Rav Kook writing about a literary journal that he had taken upon himself. Shalom Uvracha. Lo alecha ha-malacha ligmar v'loyata ben chayim livata mimena. As Chazal tell us in Masech HaSavos that it's not up to you to complete the mission. It's not up to you to complete things. You can't reach the culmination of things. But nevertheless, even though you can't reach the culmination of things, that doesn't give you permission to despair. That doesn't give you permission to lose hope. Hadvarim hakadoshim halalu. These holy ideas, these holy words, heim ner l'ragli v'or l'nisivasi. They're the candle to my steps and the light to my path. Meaning, without these words, I wouldn't survive. Says Rav Kook. V'heim ruuyim be'emes liyos ner meir l'dayrus olam l'chol mish sheyavay el kadosh lasok b'chol inyan nishka v'moyo. Not only should these words be an inspiration and direction for me but they should be an inspiration and direction to anybody who ever tries to embark on anything holy. And lefianias daiti, the holy thing at the present moment, is to continue to believe in the nekuda toiva, is to continue to believe in the good that exists within the darkness, in the good that will emerge out of darkness, the refinement and the rectification and the fixings and the peace and the shalom and the bracha, and the kedusha, and the light, and the yeshua, and the geula, and the redemption, and the fixing that comes out of all sorts of brokenness. Anybody who wants to embark on that path needs to gird themselves, arm themselves with this announcement that even though I can't complete it, even though I have no idea how this is going to make a single ounce of a difference, nevertheless, that doesn't give me permission to despair that doesn't give me permission to lose hope. So that a person shouldn't be terrified and a person shouldn't be afraid and that their heart shouldn't fall within them. That a person shouldn't lose hope and a person shouldn't give up when they realize that that wholeness, that hope, that fixing that I so desperately desire to see, it's not in my hands. I have no koach to do that. I can't reach the etzem. Lo yomer, a person shouldn't say, no yash l'chol asher yado. We're hopeless. There's no hope. Abandon all hope, yea, who enter here. Ki mi yuchol rav erech achelek min asher yado. Because who has the ability, who amongst us has the ability to truly understand the power 
of an ounce of hope that a person shows in the face of darkness. Without this awareness, without this willingness, we can't continue. The light of Rav Kok is light of the belief that things, in spite of their apparent appearance, are deeper than they appear. And that even though there's the Eridos in the world and in the individual and in the Klal, nevertheless, there's an ability to believe deeply with that inner vision that sees the light ascending, that sees, that sees things evolving. Evolution for Rav Kook was the biggest proof to godliness. The fact that something moves from something small to something large, to something larger, to something bigger, to the point that we're overwhelmed by the oros that our eyes are seeing. And Be'ezus Hashem, in the spirit of this tzaddik, in the spirit of Rav Kook, in the spirit of the Ramchal, in the spirit of the Lashem, in the spirit of the Rebbe Rashab, and all of the tzaddikim we're going to continue to discuss, we should be zaychet to see that inner hope that ascends out of darkness, that belief that in spite of the things that things seem so dark, nevertheless, there's an inner voice that's pulsating, pushing existence back to its directed space, back to its tachlis. Bezer Hashem, what we're going to discuss next week in the Shirman Hope is going to be the Talmud Mufak of Rav Kook, Rav Yaakov Moshechala. Who had a conception of hope that is so profound that it needs more than one hour. But for Avchalap, the idea is that hoping for something contains a deeper power than having the thing that you're hoping for in itself. And Bezras Hashem will discuss that next week. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.